is the second day of February. It should be about five degrees outside, and it's not. <laughs> the, the Lord has given us sunshine and a beautiful day. I want to speak something to you that is personal to me. And I, wanted, I went through the scriptures and I started looking at this topic and I wanted to spend some time this morning speaking about integrity. Integrity, the idea of being truthful to what you believe. You and I as Christians, I don't believe the word integrity is used in the New Testament, it's used quite a bit in the Old Testament, but as Christians, we need to have a real high bar of integrity. We need to be beyond reproach in the things that we say and do because we represent the Son of God. We represent the Savior to the world. When you look at Webster's Dictionary, it's pretty straightforward. It says, a firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic value, incorruptibility, it's something that doesn't change just because the situation changes. It's incorruptible. Strom shows us that in the Old Testament, the word T-O-M and T-U-M-M-A are both translated to mean integrity. I thought it was interesting when I was studying that, you know, the, the, the high priest's breastplate, the thing he put on when he did formal ceremonies that had the 12 uh, stones on it that represented the children of Israel, Sewn in that uh, chest plate was the word which meant upright, integrity, perfect. The high priest was to be upright. He was to be integrity without bound. He was to be as pure or as sinless as possible. And we all know that men sin. But his role was to have a high level, a high area of integrity, and it was, in, it was written into, sewed in to his vest. Psalms 26 and 1 says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins in my heart, for thy loving kindness is before in mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. Can I stand before the Lord and say, look at my integrity and be confident that my integrity is high enough that it's pleasing to the Lord? David could. He said, check me out. No, judge me. For I've walked in my integrity and it comes from you and it is incorruptible. Examine me, O Lord. David could stand before the Lord and said, look at my integrity and judge me by it. Can I do that? Integrity is when you do the right thing, even though the price is more than you want to pay. I thought that was an interesting quote, for it's not just that integrity is something that you do that's right, but you do it when the consequences may be drastic. It doesn't make any difference. It's incorruptible. It didn't change integrity. Integrity is when you do the right thing, even though the price is more than you want to pay. As we mentioned already, integrity is a way of life. Just like Christianity, we're not Christians on Sunday morning or on the first day of the week. We're Christians every day, 
24-7. Well, our integrity isn't just because right now it's easy to tell the truth. It's easy to do the right thing. But no, our integrity is when it's hard to do the right thing, we do it. That's true integrity. In the reading we had this morning in Daniel 3, if you look there in the 16th verse, there you remember that what had happened is Nebuchadnezzar had built a golden altar and said everybody's going to worship this altar. And some of his, you can worship it. Well, we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't call it a mistake. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. This isn't a light thing we're telling you. We have thought about it. We know what we're supposed to do. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able, uh, is able to deliver us from the burning fire of the furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand. O king, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy God, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Remember our definition of integrity? They said, we're not worshiping you or your gods, regardless of the consequences, which is pretty dire in this case. They were thrown into a furnace. They also said, if God wants us to be saved, he will save us, but it's not, he's still our God. He's still the God. So their integrity was held up before Nebuchadnezzar. You can't talk about integrity without talking about Job in the Old Testament. We know the account there of Job, how that the devil came up before God, and God said, have you considered Job and his integrity? And the devil said, well, that's just because you give him everything he wants. He's the richest man around. He's got a great family. Well, God allowed the devil to go down and took all of Job's family, all of Job's possessions except for his wife. Did it change Job's integrity? We find that Satan came back to the Lord. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a perfect and upright man. Um... One that feareth God and skeweth evil, and still he holds fast his integrity. Although thou hast moved me against him to destroy him without cause. He says, if you consider Job, you went out there and you killed all his family, you took all of his possessions, you destroyed everything. If you consider Job, his integrity? We know what the devil said, well, you didn't let me touch him. You let me touch him and you let me cause problems to him and he'll change his mind. Well, the devil was allowed to put great sores and boils on Job and Job was in great pain and agony all the time. Did it change his integrity? Then said his wife unto him, Does thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of a foolish woman speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall, we re- and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Where was Job's integrity? Did it change because of his condition or because of the times? Or because things weren't going the way he wanted them to go? Or because it was convenient? No. Job's 
Integrity, as we read in Webster's Dictionary, was incorruptible. It stayed the same. His integrity. I want to speak just a few minutes to the parents in the audience, especially those that have children still at home. You and I both realize or realize that our children and our grandchildren look up to us and they mimic us. They pattern themselves after us. And yes, sometimes they do things we don't like or not like we do them. But they look at us for examples. Where is our integrity? Our integrity is important that we're there. Jackson Brown said, Live so that when your children think it's of fairness, caring, and integrity, they think of you. They look at us for example. They look at us to know what's right and the right thing to do. It's important as parents, it's important especially as Christian parents, to have high integrity. In Proverbs 20 and 5, counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. I'll tell you how good I am at this or how I do that. But a faithful man, who can find? The just man walketh in his integrity. People can look at the just man and know he has a high level of integrity. He's not swayed by the conditions or the problems. His integrity is, is straightforward and solid. He goes on to say that his children are blessed after him. To have high integrity, it says in the scriptures, will bless our children that precede us. The Astros cheating scandal that came out, I think, last month, could have been the month before. And for those of you that don't stop, follow sports that much, it's about the fact that the Astros, and I think I can say of truth, I mean, we always say people are innocent until proven guilty, but I think they confess to this. They had a camera out in center field, and it had a telephoto lens, and they were reading the signals that the catcher was sending to the pitcher. And after just a few innings, they knew exactly what the signs were. And if the pitcher and the catcher have to communicate, and the pitcher would say, we're going to do a fastball, and we're going to do it over here on this side. We're going to do a curve, and it's going to be over here. Well, that information was relayed to the Astros and their dugout. And what I understand is there was a man there that had a big trash can and a mallet, and he was making great noise to increase the crowd and make everybody yell and scream. What he was doing was tapping out a code so that the batter knew that it was going to be a fastball. The batter knew that it was going to be a curve, that it was going to be right or left. Now, is that cheating? Sure it's cheating. As of today, as far as I know, there are four men that have lost their jobs because of it. But I am pretty confident that that will not be all of the consequences of this cheating. That others will fail thereof. But my point in putting this forth is for the parents and the adults. Proverbs 20 said, The just man walketh as in integrity. His children are blessed after him. Not in the Bible. It's a John McCall a proverb that says the unjust man walketh not in integrity and his children shall be cursed. 
My words. You know the children of those baseball players when they grow up? They're not going to be asked how good their, their father was at playing baseball or what his record was. They're going to say, oh, you're the son of the guy that cheated in the World Series in 2017. The grandchildren are going to be the same way. They're going to say, oh, well, your dad's not in the Hall of Fame. Well, guess what? If you cheat, you're not in the Hall of Fame. He says, oh, the reason you're not, yeah, I remember. They cheated in the World Series. These children will be cursed because of the lack of integrity of the people that went to bat. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity that is in me. Our integrity is within ourselves. And those men failed. They were trying to take advantage. And their integrity suffered because of it. Proverbs 19 and 1 says, Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse or crooked lips or half lies in his lips and is a fool. You're better off to walk in your integrity than to live a half-truth. Is what the writer of Proverbs 19, I think, was saying. All right, we've beat upon the parents. Now let's beat upon the children a little bit. For you children that are teenagers and someday will be leaving the nest and going out on your own, I think that your time in this time is much harder than when I was your age. When I was your age, if I did something that embarrassed the family, if I did something that was illegal and I got caught by the cops, I cheated on a test in school. There were only a few people that knew that. And they forgot, and it was over with, and it went on. Today with the internet, social media, Facebook, whatever you do lasts forever. you got to think about that. What you do lasts forever. And when using Facebook as an example, not only do your friends know that you did something you shouldn't have done, but their friends know it, and their friends know it, and the guy over in England knows it, and the guy in Germany knows it, right? So I think you live in a much harder time than I do as far as maintaining our integrity. A good name is better than precious ointment. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. As a teenager, you may not realize how important that is, but a good name is better than a healing ointment. To have a good name where people say, oh yes, I know him. And he's a good guy. He's honest. He does what's right. He does his homework. He does the things he needs to do. He obeys his parents. He's got a good name. Remember, not everyone lies, cheats, and steals. And doing the right thing is just as, ridicul- as realistic as taking the easy way out. Sometimes in school and peers and so on, it looks like everybody's lying, cheating, and stealing. I'm not. The members of this congregation are not. Your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ of your age are not. So don't let that fool you. Not everyone lies, cheats, and steals. And to have integrity and do the right thing is the thing we ought to be doing, and it's just as ridiculous. 
realistic, I can't say the word, as taking the easy way out. A long time ago, my parents gave me a plaque. And on that plaque, it said your family name. It's a poem by Nellie Wilson Williams. It's a short poem, and it says you got it from your father. It's all that he had to give. So it's yours to use and cherish, but as long as you may live. If you lose the watch he gave you, he can always, it can always be replaced, but a black mark on your name can never be erased. It was clear the day you took it, clean, sorry, the day you took it, and a worthy name to bear. When he got it from his father, there was no dishonor there. So make sure you guard it wisely after all is said and done. You'll be glad the name is spotless when you give it to your son or to your daughter. A good name is more precious than being wealthy or rich. A good name is more precious than healing ointments. Remember that. We're going to finish the lesson off. It's not, and it's not just two, two slides. It's longer than that, okay? Now, don't get your, phone, your songbook out yet. But the last thing I want to talk about, I guess is the way I should say that, is do the right thing. If we do the right thing, it will be good. It's always good to do the right thing. If you remember the story of Nehemiah, he was a prophet that God said, you're going to go and rebuild the walls of, the, of, of Jerusalem, and you're going to rebuild Jerusalem, and I want you to do this. And Nehemiah came to his, his king, Erezerses, if I said that right, and God had softened Erezerses' heart, and anything that Nehemiah asked, the king gave him. He gave him letters that allowed him to safely go through the land on the way to Jerusalem. He gave him letters that gave him the power to get provisions to build the wall, to do the things that had to be done. He gave him power, letters, that allowed him to get people to help. And if you remember the story, there were a lot of Israelite people, Jews people in the land, that came with Nehemiah to work and to build the walls. The problem with that is, is they came to do God's work, but when they did that, they left everything behind. They had no way to make money. They had no way to feed their families. They had no way to pay taxes. There was a great cry of the people, and that's they said, our sons and our daughters are many, therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live some also there was said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the drought. There was also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute to pay taxes, and that upon the hands, lands of the vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. And some of our daughters are also brought into bondage already. Neither is our power to redeem them, for our men have our lands, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. What Nehemiah found out from listening to the people is, is all of these people came up to help build Jerusalem and they were doing God's work. Well, they had no way to support their families. They had no way to feed them. They had no way to pay taxes. So what happened? Rich Jews, noblemen, said, Oh, I'll, I'll loan you the money and you give me your vineyard. I'll loan you the money for taxes, and you give me your child. Was that the right thing? Nehemiah got ticked. He 
He said, I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. He said, what are the world are you doing, you fellow Jews, you fellow Israelites, that you're taking advantage of your own people? Then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, Ye exact usury, every one of his brother, and set a great assembly against them. He said, What are you doing? These people have come up here to help build the wall. They're come to do God's work, and what are you, you're taking advantage. You're taking their lands. You're taking their children. You're putting them into poverty. That's not right. And he called them together, and he talked to them. And the scripture says that after he had consulted with them or talked to them, it was silent because they realized that, man, we're not doing what we should do. He convicted them in his speech. In Nehemiah 5, it said, Restore, I pray you, to them ever, even this day their lands, their vineyards, their olive yards, and their houses. Also a hundredth part of the money, all the money. Give it all back to them. And of the corn and the wine and the oil that ye exact of them. Then said they, we will restore them and will require nothing of them. So we will do as thou sayest. Well, it, it took Nehemiah to get on their case. It took Nehemiah to really get on them. But these people realized that they weren't doing the right thing. They were taking advantage of people that were doing God's will. So they said, yes, we'll give it all back. I believe according to the scriptures, they did. They were honest in what they said. But Nehemiah didn't stop there doing the right thing. Look at his character. Look at his integrity. He says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year even until the 2 and 30th year, Berezerses the king, that is 12 years, I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. The king gave him letters. It said, you're able to tax the people to feed those that work. You're able to take from them what call the governor's bread. He said, we didn't do that for 12 years. And then he listed the things that he needed for those that were around him that worked. He said, we need an oxen and six sheep. And we need a lot of birds, fowls to eat. And a lot of wine, sorted wine. And that was just a daily provision. For all this required not I the bread of the governor. I didn't tax the people for it. I found other ways to get it. Because the bondage was heavy upon this people. He said, it wouldn't have been right if I did that. Now, yeah, I had the authority to do it, but it wouldn't have been right. So I didn't. He could say to God, think, think upon me, my God, for good. Think about me as being good because I have done what you've asked me to do and I did it in the right way. According to all that I've done for this people. He said, Lord, I tried to do what you wanted me to do. I tried to do it the best way I could and I did it by helping others and being good for them. Alan Simpson said, if you have integrity, nothing else matters. If you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. In a worldly sense, that's absolutely true. You and I as Christians, as children, as parents, we need to have a high level of integrity. That, we, that people will look upon us and know that we have integrity in our hearts. 
David said it this way, but as for me, I will walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth like this, strongly, in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. He said, I walked in my integrity. I was strong. I was firm in what I believed and what I did. And it was correct by God's word. Therefore, redeem me and be merciful unto me and I will confess it to the congregation that that's what they should do. I hope this is something in the lesson. We'll have you think through the week. Integrity is so important. And if you lose it, it's almost impossible to regain it. So we need to strive to use it. We never like to end a service without offering an invitation. There's been, there's been sufficiently taught and believes that Jesus is the Son of God, is willing to confess that, to repent of their sins and have those sins washed away in baptism. The, congreg- the church is willing and ready to help. Come, come and sit on the front row as we stand and sing two verses of the song selected.